Hi, this is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, where our mission is to bring Christ's hope, healing, and wholeness to our community and to our world. Our service times are 9 and 11 each Sunday morning. Find out more at www.communitycovenant.net. Well, we're continuing in our study in 1 Thessalonians verses 1 through 10. <clears throat> I've entitled it, Our Table, um, A Thanksgiving Recipe. Uh, for in those 10 verses, uh, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church uh, and the Thessalonians, he identifies um, six specific things that he gives thanks for as he reflects upon them, and further as you go into the book, as he reflects on his time that he spent with them. And uh, last week, you might recall, as we read through uh, verses 1 through 3, there were two things that we discovered, two things that Paul identified. Number one is that uh, the Thessalonians, as followers of Christ, uh, they were rooted in God's grace and his love. Um, The second thing is that their fellowship, the living out of their faith, was characterized by faith, hope, and love. And for those two things, uh, he lifts them up to the Lord and he gives thanks uh, for those things. Uh, As you think about their fellowship, you think about a table. A table in biblical days is a place of fellowship where uh, people would gather it was a place of great intimacy. It was a place where you would invite those that, that you would identify with, care about. You'd want to give them a place at the table. And so as Paul is writing and he's thinking about this Thessalonian church, metaphorically, at their table, their recipe included being rooted, rooted in God's grace and his love. And, and, and their fellowship was characterized by faith hope, and love. Uh, Those were things that they were serving up at their table. Not only for those who were a part of their fellowship, but as we're going to read here in verses 4 through 7, that they literally became an example uh, to all the churches, uh, especially the area of Greece, uh, Macedonia, northern Greece, uh, Achaia, southern Greece, uh, down the boot heel where Corinth is. Incidentally, uh, that's where he is while he's writing this letter. You, you might recall uh, on his second missionary journey, he had gone to Philippi uh, and had, in, uh, had in, uh, encountered uh, great persecution there. Paul and, uh, and Silas and, and Timothy, and, and they left and they went further uh, north. They went to Thessalonica, and there, as the gospel was being shared again, they met opposition. It was so severe that they were literally run out of town. Uh, and those new converts uh, to um, the way, those who are now following Christ, whether they be Jewish, God-fears, those are people who uh, were Gentiles, or in this case, they are of Greek origin, but they went to the synagogue and they, they worshipped the God of the Jews without being fully converted to Judaism. Those were God-fears. And then uh, in, in the book, uh, in Acts chapter 17, where it recounts the beginning of the church, it says, and not just a few prominent women. Uh, these are ladies of influence. 
who came from families of influence in the community. Uh, and, and all of those people that Paul, Timothy, and Silas left behind, they too encountered great persecution. Because when the gospel gets a hold of people's lives and people live the gospel in the fullness that God intends, it changes everything. Not only in the individual's life, in the fellowship of believers that they're a part of, but as in the case of Thessalonica and other places that we read in the book of Acts, that Paul went to and established churches, it literally turned those places upside down. It challenged the values. It challenged the traditions. It challenged the established uh, establishment of government. It challenged their understanding of worshiping many different gods. All of those things were challenged. And culture was being literally turned upside down to the point where those who were challenging these new believers at Thessalonica, you know what they said? They said, these people have come here with a message that is literally causing problems wherever they share it because it disrupts the status quo. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I have an admonition for you today. Your faith in Christ is intended to disrupt the status quo. The status quo of your own life and the status quo of the world, of the place where God has you. Because He wants to make a difference through you. He wants to change things for the sake of the gospel. Isn't that good news? Man, every single one of us has a reason to get up in the morning, right? It's like Audrey reminded of us. We're called to live bravely because living bravely is a full-time job. Be bold and courageous, the Lord said to Joshua, right? Okay, so that's what's going on. That's some of the background. And so here we come now. We continue in uh, verses 4 through 7. Now, Let me just review them for you. Verse 4 says, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that He has chosen you. Okay? We are saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves. We can't manufacture it. We can't make it up. We can't be good enough. Our own efforts fall short. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that God draws us to Himself through His grace, that we might be recipients of His grace. Through his son, Jesus Christ. Okay? And so Paul says, now, we know that you've been chosen by God. It's through God's grace that he has called you to himself. He's drawn you to himself through this relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. Now, what he's going to do as he goes from verse 4 into 5 into 6, he's going to say how he knows that God has called them. Okay, And he's going to identify some very specific things that um, he says are evidence that their faith is real, it's authentic, they've been called by God. It's not through any effort of their own or it's not been manufactured. It is a work of God's grace in their life. Now, it's important. As we refer to the Thessalonians, this letter was written... First, to the whole community, 
to the church. Now, the church is made up of individual believers. And so the message to the whole church has application in individual lives. But the focus here is on the life of the believing community. And so often what we do is we privatize our faith. We take the words of Scripture that were intended for the whole of believing community. We privatize it. We make it our own. And we use that as an excuse not to be a part of the believing community. Right? I can worship God. I can follow Jesus on my own. I don't need to be a part of the church. And Wrong. That's not what Scripture says. You can do that. If you choose to, but if you do, know this. Number one, you can never live into the fullness of all God intends as a member of the body of Christ, his body, the fullness of what he intends for you to receive, but also the fullness, the purpose for which he created you, for you to give to others. And so in a sense, you are uh, living your Christian life on low octane. And you're not fulfilling the purpose that God has for you and the reason he called you to himself. Not only for your sake, but for the sake of others, okay? We need each other. We need each other to be a part of the body of Christ. For our own sake and for the sake of those that God ministers to through us. And if any member of the body is missing, what do we know? We know that the whole body hurts. Okay, So this letter is written to the whole body. But it has, of course, individual application. So, he says, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Why? Verse 5. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. When I think of another verse that that would reflect what Paul's trying to say, it's something he wrote to the Romans in Romans chapter 15, verses 18 through 19. If we bring that passage up, Tobin, there it is. Listen to what Paul writes to the Romans. He says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what Paul is saying is, I didn't come to you merely with, with human philosophy, and I didn't muster up ideas of my own or, or share this in my own strength or my own eloquence. In fact, other places in Scripture, Paul says, I'm not an eloquent speaker. I'm a weak person. I really don't compare to some of the, the better speakers of my day. Okay? But he did come with something else, with the power of the Holy Spirit. We in the Covenant Church celebrate a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit. We recognize that that in order to live the Christian life, we need to be connected. We need to, to submit to the work of the Spirit in our life. We need to plug in and stay plugged in. We, we, we can't do it on our own. We can't muster it on our own. We can't possibly live, as Audrey reminded us today, with bravery for Christ being a full-time job in our own strength. We need that connection and yielding to the Holy Spirit in our life. 
And Paul is saying, the message I brought to you didn't come through mere words of my own human ability or strength, not my own ideas or thoughts, but they came to you by the power of the Holy Spirit. By the Spirit's power. Right? Now, it's, it's, it's interesting. Paul is writing from Corinth as he writes this letter. He had sent Timothy to find out whatever happened to the Thessalonians. Timothy comes back, gives a great report. Ah, there's some issues. They're still working out their faith. I mean, you know, it's a new church. It's a young church. They're, they're trying to figure things out. They have questions, especially re- regarding the return of Christ and how should they live in light of the imminent return of Christ. And uh, Paul's going to answer those later on in this letter. But uh, for the most part, you know, he's identifying these things that he's giving thanks for. Now, in Corinth, it was quite the opposite. Some of the things he's giving thanks for, uh, the Corinthians were having a difficult time struggling getting a hold of. Does that make sense? And uh, uh, he spent quite a bit of time there in Corinth. And later on, as he reflects and writes back to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 22 through 24, verse 1, 22 through 24, he says this. He says, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we, Paul says, preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. In other words, Paul, in the power of the Holy Spirit, preached Christ and Christ crucified. We have a song we sing, In Christ Alone. In Christ Alone. The Corinthians had a difficult time receiving that because there were all these other influences within culture. Corinth, not unlike Thessalonica, was a major city. It had a large population. It was um, a place of trade and commerce and people from all the world came and went through those cities. But the people at Corinth, where Paul is writing the letter to the Thessalonians, I can only imagine he's thinking about his ministry in Corinth and saying, man, this is great news about the Thessalonians. I wish the Corinthians would live like this, right? Which is why later on in verse 7, he says, you are a witness to the people in Achaia, the province of Achaia. That's where Corinth is. You become a witness, an example, a role model to them. But here's the point. They were so tossed about by the wind and the waves of culture and the influences of government, of religion, of, of other cultural influences, that they didn't fully receive the gospel on its own terms. They were a, a group, they were a church, that were tossed about by all the influences around them. In fact, in 2 Corinthians verse 11, excuse me, uh, chapter 11, verse 4, he says this to them. You happily put up with with whatever anyone tells you. Even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach, or a different kind of spirit than the one you received, or a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. You put up with these things, Corinthians. You let these things influence your walk with Jesus. It should not be that way. Now, 
is it any reason, as Paul is reflecting as he's writing to the Thessalonians in his present culture where he is in Corinth, right? He's encountering these things. No wonder he's thankful for the Thessalonians. No wonder he begins his letter to them identifying six things that he's thankful for. Each of those things, coincidentally, the Corinthians, while he's ministering to them, are having a hard time grasping and getting a hold of. Ah, but not the Thessalonians. Okay? It's like this. Uh, you know, a year and a half ago, uh, I was involved in a scuba diving accident. I was caught in surge, and I was going up and down. And as a result, I couldn't equalize the pressure in my ears. Because in order to equalize, you have to remain at one depth long enough to clear and equalize your ears. But if you're going up and down and up and down, you can't equalize. And as a result... Okay, I had a real serious inner ear injury. And that resulted in a loss of equilibrium. I was dizzy. I had a hard time seeing things. Everything was moving funny. Um, Cognitively, I had a hard time thinking. Not to mention a partial loss of hearing and then constant ringing in my ear. Right? It was a real distraction. And they had to do a surgery to try to to correct it. But perhaps the thing that bugs me the most is that there's a nerve that runs underneath your ear and it goes into your mouth. And it literally affects one-third of your taste in your tongue. Okay? That nerve has been permanently damaged. So, getting back to Lori's cooking, (laughs) it all comes back, right? To food. Uh, she cooks these marvelous things, and I taste them, and it's like something that's supposed to be spicy is sweet. If it's supposed to be sweet, it's spicy, or it just tastes bad. It's just like, ugh, to the point where I just don't really enjoy eating that much anymore. Most of the time, things don't taste the way they should or the way the recipe intends. So what do I do? I add things to it. I add salt, I'll add sugar, I'll add this, I'll add that, I'll add spice. Anything to give me some flavor. Okay? What Paul is addressing here, and what he's saying to the Thessalonians, reflecting on his ministry context, where he's writing from in Corinth, is, you know what? He says, I came to you, I came to you, And the message I delivered to you, I delivered without, without additives. There's nothing artificial in this message. There's nothing I've had to add or try to add to make it more palatable to you. In fact, here's the gospel. It's the pure message of God through the word of God. And I give it to you in the power of the spirit. There's no additives necessary. This is it. But you know what happens to some of us? We get tossed about in the wind and the waves of the world in which we live. And it literally damages our spiritual nerve. To the point where, rather than being able to receive the gospel the way God intends us to and live into it the way he intends us to, we want to make all these things, we want to to give it flavor. We want to make it palatable so we can consume it and enjoy it. Not the way God intends But because 
we, our spirit, has been damaged by the influences, by the pressures, by the forces of the things around us. And spiritually, we find ourselves in a position where we can't equalize. We can't clear our ears, our spiritual heart, to listen to God and receive God on his terms. And so we add things to it. Let me give you examples. We let our politics influence our understanding of the gospel rather than the gospel influence our politic. Do you see that? We, we, we live in excessive materialism. We call that blessing. God is blessing our excess. Rather than understanding where the true blessings of God are to be found. We add entertainment to everything we do to make this attractive. As if it's not attractive on its own and in its own merit. We have to spice it up. We have to bring in cultural additives and flavors so that it's palatable for us. But Paul says, I preach nothing but Christ crucified. Right? We constantly have to entertain ourselves. And we camouflage the gospel in entertainment so that people will receive it. The problem is, when they receive it that way, they're not receiving the pure gospel. It's like having pure water and adding Kool-Aid mix to it and thinking that's the real deal. Does it make sense? I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just making observations. We take comfort. We take comfort and, and, and we, we, we integrate comfort into the call to commitment, to follow Christ, to be brave all the time. No, we got to be comfortable when we do that because that's commensurate with our cultural lifestyle, right? Those are additives. And we are no different than the people in Corinth or the people who first received the gospel. They wanted to bring flavoring and additives to make the gospel more palatable. Finally, we confuse the voice of culture for the word of God. And I'm telling you, they're not the same. Okay? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Let's look at what he says here in 1 Thessalonians, verse 5. Uh, We know, brothers and sisters, that you've been chosen by God because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. Okay? There were no additives necessary or needed here. He was giving it to them the way it really is. He says, you know how we lived among you for your sake. Now listen to this. Verse 6. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with joy given by the Holy Spirit. You see? The second fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, right? The first is love. What's the second? Joy. And joy is something that our circumstances cannot mute. 
And that's a sign of authenticity, of a life that is being led and filled by the Spirit of God, is the joy, even in the midst of hardship. He says, you, in spite of your difficulty, in spite of the persecution, in spite of the adversity and the challenges that you saw we had, you've taken them on from yourself, and you've not only taken them on, but you're joyful. Because they imitated him. As he imitated Christ. Do you see that? Now. 1 Timothy 1.8. He writes to Timothy. Who, by the way, is with him on this missionary journey. Later on, he's writing to Timothy. He says, so do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Or me, his prisoner. Rather, join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Do you see the authenticity there? You're going to live for the gospel? You're going to be brave in the world? You're going to suffer for the gospel? It has to be by the power of God. You can't do it in your own strength. In your own strength, you're going to want to add, bring additives to it. To make it more palatable. To make it more comfortable. To make it more entertaining. To make it more acceptable. To make it more congruent with the culture around you. But he says, no, join me in this by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's all you need. You don't need these other things. They're distractions. They mute the taste and the power of the, of the pure and true gospel in your life. And then we read Acts 1.8. But you will receive power. Jesus said this. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Okay? To Alaska. Right? That's the ends of the earth. Where Jesus was when he said this. Okay? He was talking about Alaska. You see... There's no substitute. There's no substitute for the gospel and for the power to live into it, to witness to it, to suffer for it, the power that comes from the Holy Spirit. We don't need additives. We need the Holy Spirit. Two things in these verses that Paul gives thanks for. Number one is that they're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And number two, that they're committed to Jesus Christ. So there's four of the six. The first is they're rooted in God, His grace and love, God's grace and love. The second, is that they're characterized by faith, hope, and love. The third is that they're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And the fourth is their commitment to Christ. And each of those things that he observes begs questions that we have to ask ourselves. Number one, is our church, am I, empowered by the Holy Spirit? Or are we trying to live the faith every day by substituting the power of the Spirit with additives that aren't necessary. 
Is our church, number two, am I committed to Jesus Christ? Committed to living bravely in the world for him. You know why? To live bravely for Christ is a full-time job. It just is. And then finally, a third question I think this scripture invites us to ask of ourselves. Are we, am I, convinced that life apart from God and his saving work in Christ is counterfeit? It's not the real deal. You see, what Paul ends up saying here in verse 7, And so you became a model because of your commitment to Christ, because of your empowerment of the Holy Spirit, you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. You became a model. You became a model. My hope and my prayer is that we at Community Covenant will be a church that is rooted in God's grace and love that is characterized by faith, hope, and love, that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and has a commitment to Christ, and that we together would encourage each other and recognize this, that life outside, life apart from God and His saving work in Jesus Christ, it's counterfeit. It's not the real deal. It's not what He's called us to live. As the worship team comes forward, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit, and God forgive us when we substitute. We add things to our faith as substitute for you and the presence of your Spirit in our lives. God, our desire is that we would be a church empowered by your spirit and fully committed to Christ. Lord, that we would recognize the signs of counterfeit faith and that we would not settle for anything less than the life in your spirit, the life that you intend for us to live. So that like Audrey we might recognize that we have all that we need in your spirit. You've given us everything, everything, to live confidently and boldly and bravely in the world for you. Lord, would you repair our spiritual nerve that we might taste and see that you are good and enjoy life in Christ as you intend. We pray this and we ask it in the name of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.